Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raph. Oh, hey. my voice just cracked. <laughs> we, Hi, Raph. We did multiple takes trying to get this working. <laughs> yeah. I sound like uh, Milhouse from The Simpsons or something. Yeah, you look like him, too. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Same eyewear. Good yeah. friends. <laughs> On the Good Point podcast. Yeah. yeah, I know I look like a like a shriveled turtle. Or <laughs> do you do you have the thing where you, you take off your glass? I've never seen you without glasses. Your eyes get really small. <laughs> yeah, they like they defy the laws of physics. They just like, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah. Well, actually, I always believed glasses made my eyes look better. Uh, but yeah. I have really blue eyes. And people often get lost in them, ref. Yeah, I know. So do I. So that's why we're doing this with our videos. I can focus on the conversation. Right. (laughs) So how are you? Uh, Yeah, pretty good. Uh, um, Yeah, really good. Things are good. Um, Me? Yeah, I think, you know, my body's really sore. I I had an amazing week, but one of those weeks where yesterday was like a, week, a Saturday weekend day. Normally I would get some work done, catch up on some stuff, but instead I was just like, uh, I just played video games and watched TV all day. Because you, you, you've been in a nonstop travel cycle the last few weeks. Yeah, but I actually, for the rest of the month, I'm like, gloriously, I'm, I'm not traveling. But I was oh, in Montre- wow. Montreal this week for really, really cool, uh, what I think is kind of cool anyway, government <laughs> event. This, this Digital Arts Foundation. Yeah, but basically the the um, Canada Council for the Arts, which is our national arts granting granting uh, foundation uh, administrative body, if you will, um, they announced a, a new like eighty eight point five or I guess ninety nine or ninety million dollar uh, fund for the digital arts, but not just for is that, is that per year. Um, and it's actually not for the digital arts. I should, yeah, it's over three years, so it's like thirty million a year. Okay. And it's for digital transformation in the arts, which is what I thought. You know, one reason I thought today might be interesting to talk about what the hell that means. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I be- think it 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 ties into our previous episode of like why media art is separated from the rest. Right. Yeah. And this is like so. Everyone was there. It was dancers, theater people. Good point, podcast listeners, uh, yeah, arts people, visual arts people. But it wasn't that they were necessarily new media artists or internet artists or electronic artists. They were people from the arts, and the government was really sort of like urging them to um, get with the program and kind of they they feel that potentially uh, the sort of millennial generation won't be able to won't really will will leave will be will leave them behind right won't include well, that's them. exactly what i thought when i started it's like okay if if our eyeballs are attached to screens then why are we mm-hmm. focused on museums yeah and so it's like how are you going to reach this generation of people and i don't think it's fair to say millennials but anyone after a certain age uh or era you know the way they consume media has shifted radically that's the hypothesis and i think it's been validated Generally, and so you know, arts organizations have been pretty grumpy about this. <laughs> They've been like, "Well, you know, like they should come to us, and like the artists shouldn't have to compromise." And da, 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 da. and and a lot of those things are somewhat true. Yeah, but, I, I think both points are true. Mm-hmm, but it's not yeah. one without the other, right? So the, yeah. the I think that was the thesis of this uh, summit. It was like a summit to launch the fund, and we had different keynote speakers. And I was helped. <laughs> they spent twenty five percent of the fund. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They flew everyone out. Actually, it was a really for everyone. It was a really 
wonderful kind of group of people. It was really um, diverse and inclusive, um, intersectional, like, and it was from across the country, but then also from around the world. I was part of a organizing committee, so I got to recommend uh, for certain people to come, which was a real treat to just see. You know, some some yeah, like really a, like a Godfather figure. You sit on a chair. And like, <laughs> you're in. Yeah, that's right. But we couldn't invite everyone. It's like a wedding, right? So there, I think there were like 300 people there. But you know, um, they had to represent each community uh, in Canada and each sector in the arts. And, and by the time you slice it up all these different ways, and uh, then you're, you're you're kind of you've got one person from each yeah. community. It's kind of it's thing. it ties into a lot of stuff we've been talking about. Like uh, we've been talking about small countries and, and mm-hmm. Canada geographically is a huge country, but the, a small population, and the Netherlands is the same. And so, um, when the art world is not so market driven, then they're like, hey, we can think in a different way, and how can we be different than other countries? And so the Netherlands also stimulates uh, digital culture. How do they do it? I think it's the same. There's special, uh, mm. there's general grants, and then there's grants like if you, I'm making a book which is uh, partly funded. You get a, mm-hmm. uh, you can get a twenty percent funding of your book, mm-hmm. but you can get an extra twenty percent if if the publication also involves a digital oh, component. That's interesting. So I'm I'm making an app tied to the book, um, and so in that way they want to stimulate, um, and then there's direct stimulus for experimental video games or involving uh, some kind of digital technology in dance or theater mm-hmm. and, yeah yeah that's really that's really interesting that they're that they're doing that um and we are looking for new model you know for other models uh so that, that's a good example um yeah and i think what they hope to do with a hundred million dollars which is i'll just keep rounding it up <laughs> but uh yeah. you know yeah it's by the end of the episode it's 10 billion <laughs> is to stimulate uh, the community to start to like own their own means of production though as well. Like so not just like start to use digital tools but then actually this is one of the more exciting ideas I think and whether or not it's I think it's probably yeah, too ambitious. Sell, like they want people to sell their art on Amazon. Well, like why should well that was one of the interesting things we brought we invited Astra Taylor who wrote this book called The People's Platform um, to speak specifically to like sort of initiate or plant a seed. <laughs> Uh, an idea in people's heads that, hey, like, what if instead of in you know California dictating the rules for content dissemination uh, or for like distribution, that artists owned a part of a new kind of platform or or you know or or favored platforms that were more equitable or something yeah. like that. It is interesting that w- whenever you come up with a, a structure that is less classic art world. Mm-hmm that the the price you pay is concentration. So if you're like, what if you, yeah. instead of making works on canvas, you start a t-shirt company? Yeah. What if you do a startup instead of having an artist studio? And right. then it ends up you're managing a lot of stuff. And there's, <laughs> right. there's just this classic thing of sitting in a room by yourself working on stuff. Yeah. That it, whatever you do, uh, add to it, It's uh, I think you dilute it. Yeah, I would just say that most of the people in this room, though, were not artists, um, though there were certainly artists there. A lot of them were arts organization leaders. And so they're kind of they're, all They're working. always the people with the stable salaries and the pensions, and then <laughs> the artists get the handouts. Well, I think a lot, well, a lot of them do struggle, though, or there are a lot of part-time workers that weren't represented okay. there, right? But yeah, like... 
there's like one salary position usually per Canadian uh, art center kind of thing uh, okay. until you get to the museum level. And then, of course, at the museum level, there's lots of people. But um, there are lots of these small organizations kind of fighting it out, theater groups or uh, or yeah. small theaters or dance troops or small dance studios. And yeah. But I, I want to say whatever criticism I have of all these structures, I'm very grateful. I think it's... To... <laughs> yeah, protect your ass. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I think uh, one should not complain too much. But if there's, uh, if there are ideas that can be improved, then it's useful. well. Let me, yeah, let me give you an example of like one of them. I was all so. Here's what my job was. I was like at the last second I arrived there. The reason I'm tired is because I was supposed to just kind of like hang out and interview people. And but and, you were in full uniform. I saw. Yeah, because at the last second, they're like, um, there was all this, there was a huge storm, as we all know, in the, in the Northeast, but it affected flights around uh, the continent. And yeah. so they had hired this like professional MC, this guy, Mathieu Dugal, who's like with the CBC, which is our Canadian broadcasting company, has like a, a show, a radio show. And he's like, you know, he's like a polished guy. Yeah. And I had said, hey, I could do the MC work. Uh, but they're like, no, no, we'll give it to the the professional. Let's leave <laughs> so, it to the real people. Leave it to the real people. But then at the last second, I mean, his flight was canceled. So they're like, okay, you're on. <laughs> so I was like wearing the bench. Anybody got a turtleneck? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you do you carry your 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 outfit like Superman? And if there's an emergency, you go in the booth and change. <laughs> I do. Yeah, no matter what, whether uh, you always wear it under your. Re- it's not always clothes. under my clothes, but I always have it in my bag if I'm traveling. Because actually, just like this, yeah, like I'm never sure if I'm going to be called <laughs> to the rescue. <laughs> it's I famous also, new media artist. I also always have like, like I said before, like a Wiimote or some programming tool maybe, or maybe some little you gadget. Should, maybe you should have a white cape at some point. <laughs> when you really become, you're a famous new media well, artist people, now, but then you become super famous new media artist. I don't know. It might be over the top, but uh, yeah, maybe on special you never occasions. Know, you never know if you've gone over the top until you've gone over the top. <laughs> right. Like drag queens everywhere are, uh, are saying yeah, no. no I, yeah. I think about that a lot when, when people like, you found an idea as an artist and mm. like, how, further, how much further should I push it? And only if you go too far you know you, you went too far otherwise it's like well that's true I did once think that the shorts were too far uh, and so, <laughs> but, yeah. but that's become yeah. like a celebrated symbol yeah uh, and now I wonder yeah. like will, will I ever s- not wear that or will it ch- anyway I actually I brought back an old element this time that I left aside as too much which was an iPad necklace but that was a huge hit, you know. Because the flavor Flav style. Yeah, and then like yeah. I could, I had different um, Douglas Copeland messages on there. Yeah, like maybe you can have the, the ear pods and four Apple watches <laughs> and some <laughs> Galaxy Gear and. Yeah, you know. exactly. Wearables, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ear po- yeah. It would be like four sets I th- of ear pods. Ear pods. If you had a Apple Watch across your forehead. With it being in the center of your forehead. Oh, like a mandala or what, like what's that? Like a spiritual crystal on yeah. your forehead. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I, f- I feel like that would be a great like uh, Marina Abramovic kind of <laughs> spoof yeah. or something. You have to get a really big wristband. It does remind me though, like, when, so yeah, so I had to MC this thing, which was exhausting. Like if you, uh, if you have to MC, if you ever MC'd an event, usually it's like a one hour event, but this is like a 12 hour event <laughs> or like started at 8 a.m., finished at 6 or 7 p.m. <laughs> And so two days in a row, by the end of it, you're just like, I have nothing yeah. left. And you, if you're an MC, usually, I don't know if you've ever had this job, 
But a good MC also is like you're basically it's it's not a glamorous job. You're getting people into the room. You're telling them what to do next. Da, 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 and also keeping them entertained. <clears throat> and so you're, yeah, you're you're keeping the energy between yeah the, the important acts exactly. And there's a lot of like housekeeping work that you're doing too. And so if you're but really doing it... this is what you love to do. You love being on stage. I do. I love it. I, I do love it. But I, I leave it all on the stage. <laughs> I leave it all on the floor. <laughs> uh, and it's certainly... You but have you, to you'd improvise. rather perform for 45 minutes just your thing than uh, actually I, the whole night together. I don't mind doing the long format thing. It's just it takes a lot of energy. Uh, yeah. In some ways, I like it more because you can do like little sketches that you... But the funny thing about spending energy is the more energy you spend, the more energy you have afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I, everyone was like, "Aren't you tired?" And during it, I was not tired at all. Right, like the next. Yeah, day. because if you never do anything, you don't have any energy. Yeah, you don't even know where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Someone did call me. Uh, I'm. A, a, I was that. I was caffeine. Like I was caffeine incarnate or something. <laughs> <laughs> but how are you going to get like, you know, two hundred administrators excited at eight thirty a.m. Right? It's like. Yeah. <laughs> It takes some that you have you have to at least smile and then from there and then start jumping around and, and, and screaming and yelling. Yeah. So anyway, but it, you reminded me. So you, you'd think like um, one of the so I was also interviewing people. I had a second job, which was to interview people for video. And there was this one older lady. She was like 90. No, she wasn't 90. She was 80. Someone said she was 90. You know, when you get to a certain <laughs> age and it's like she's like 120. It's just like that granite. Keeps she's going a wizard. Just, <laughs> yeah. a wizard. But this uh, wonderful lady and she was like she runs in a dance company that does like Indian dance here in Toronto. And I was told I should speak to her because she was becoming like this pioneer in streaming Indian dance, like doing like web streams. Mm -hmm. And so... I got to talking to her. It was really kind of fascinating because she she was one of those people. Were you that was, talking on stage? No, we were talking off uh, in another room when I wasn't needed on stage, and we were video recording sort of our talk together. But um, she was she was sort of she was talking about how she had been really skeptical that dan Indian dance could translate to the screen. And then she started to talk about how well in Indian dance a lot of the dance in certain regions or certain styles uses the eyes like you know the eye, even like the 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 eye is a part of the dance and or like little finger gestures are little little twits, twitches and movements and that by streaming it she could like instruct a camera crew to capture this stuff now mm. obviously it's a different thing but she made this really interesting point that i thought kind of transcended everything which was um that Normally, when you go to an Indian dance, only a few people can afford the front row seats. So only the wealthy elite could have could have access to like to see the real thing, to be close yeah, enough to, to see really the eyes. To, yeah, to see it. just like a sporting event, really, in a lot of ways. Right. And so by recording and streaming it and she's now streaming it to like major movie theaters all over the country. Um, but by doing that, uh, she you're, everyone can see what the front row sees. Yeah. Now, but that's kind of the transition from theater to cinema. Yeah, but it, yeah, it, and you're right. But it was interesting. Yeah, that, and that's a great way of thinking about why theater about why theater became this popular form, right? Why everyone can enjoy it. But um, it, it struck me that it, most of the arts you know, it, it, let's instead of the front row, let's just replace front row with like barriers, obstructions, right? Oh, there yeah, are, there yeah, are all yeah, these obstructions sure. that get in the way. And she, well, that, I think that's why uh, 
digital arts funding from a government body it makes a lot of sense because you mm-hmm. make it accessible. Yeah, and the accessibility ended up being like I guess one of the major themes and access to tools and technology obviously kind of the same old stuff but it was really nice to see that the like this 87 year old this 125 year old woman she just she just got it right like and once she got it it was like she wasn't gonna ever go back and it was yeah yeah, i don't know i was pretty inspired by that it's interesting to me that digital now means so many more different things than the, Mm -hmm. the beginning of the web and i i always liked that when the web was very primitive and the means you could not do video, you could not do photography. So it had a very specific visual language. But by now it's just interactive TV, and uh, which is, of course, it was bound Ugh. to happen. But I, f- yeah. I feel like there's a loss of uh, its own visual language. I see what you're saying. But interactive TV to me is like just a bad example because it's so cliche, right? Like When you said... But YouTube to me is interactive TV. Oh, okay, but it's not like voting for your for American Idol or something like that. No, but more like going from thing to thing and commenting and sharing and. But I think what happens when more people are included in that uh, remediation, uh, more creators and audiences, then new languages emerge. Like you mentioned, cinema, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, like obviously, theater and, cin- and cinema were around at the same time you know for a while they still are obviously but like early cinema just looked like a recording of a of a, of a play yeah yeah right? and so and then they had to they had to they had to investigate the medium for its own strengths yeah well and then they realized ooh, we could like focus in on the eye or like yeah. oh yeah that little gesture or we could cut to this other place entirely well acting also changed it became more subtle mm-hmm yeah, so because in, in the theater you have to scream. It's funny too, because like last podcast we were talking about post internet, right? But really, probably it won't. It wouldn't. There's no such thing until. And I'm, I mentioned that any art made after a certain age was post internet, but that's not true unless every artist or every creator is considering um, these new modes of distribution and production. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I, so the 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 next three years we'll see a lot of digital art and digital implementations of art coming out of Canada. Yeah, or so and and the other thing we're hopeful it's about It's also a way of Canada sh- um, broadcasting to the world. Yeah, yeah. So right yeah, that's true. I should explain that right now there's like an ideological kind of um, world war that maybe maybe not everyone's aware about. Uh, but I think with um, the war on Christmas and shit. <laughs> well, with, there's like been a wave of conservatism that, you know, I guess being Dutch. I haven't know. seen any conservatism around the Have you? <laughs> but actually. I thought everybody's happy and sharing and said, bring joy. This isn't the political podcast, but in the Netherlands last week, right, there was sort of like a pushback uh, for the first time in Europe, which was. Yeah, it's, it's all funny how it, um, the choice of wording mm-hmm. is very funny because, um, I, I never thought about it that way. There's 150 seats in the House, and the biggest party has 30 seats, which is only 20% of the votes. So it sounds like, oh, the, the entire country is racist. And then mm. the, the the populist party got, I think, 20 seats, which is 13% of the votes. So, I mean, it's, it's substantial, but it's also... Uh, Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, it, in the U.S. where there's really half the country are Trump voters. Right, right. Or almost half. Yeah, that's a very different. But 
there's a lot more choice in the Netherlands. I don't know if Canada is the same. Yeah, for, yeah, I've never understood that about the United States. But here we have usually three primary parties, but they sometimes break apart into two new parties. Like uh, in the Netherlands now, it's like twenty or twenty-five parties. It's really it, it's very tailored. Well, there are any, twenty-five any, parties, but are they all popular? All twenty-five? Well, right now it's very um, each fragmented. has a small section, and then they have to. It's it's like uh, Power Rangers or the Transformers. <laughs> they have to. Choose their buddies and then yeah. form a big monster. Yeah. yeah, I think the same thing is true in the UK. I think that's probably because it's a parliamentary system, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. anyway, that it, it, it it's interesting that that kind of survival method or way of thinking for the arts, which comes out of mm. uh, cooperation and a lot of agreement and uh, commissions, and it's it's a more bureaucratic model than the idea of like five billionaires who decide who's the next art star. Well, yeah, actually it was funny because Astra Taylor, who I mentioned earlier, who gave this People's Platform talk, who believes that artists should can own their own platforms, she said, why, why not Canada instead of California? Like, what is it about California? I mean, obviously there's a critical mass of thinkers in California, right? But you could create a critical mass of think people that think a there's totally a of, different way yeah. in another part of the world, right? <clears throat> well, there's a, I think Americans are just very good in this uh, leap of faith, mm -hmm. like to the point where it just sounds detached from reality. It's like we're going to change the world, and, and <laughs> I think people in the Netherlands and maybe Canada is the same. Like, no, no you're I absolutely don't right. Think so. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, no, it's totally going to work. It's true. And then, and then you get everyone excited, and investors are excited, and even if you look from a distance you're like holy shit that's the worst idea ever and a lot of times it is but sometimes it's not yeah i mean it's a, this idea of go, be bold and they have they're in tech there's always this this cliche and it's true you have to have this like what do they call it like a big hairy or scary problem or mission like something really important to to and if that's where that change the world rhetoric came from um, yeah. because it's yeah. it's part of just running a a company with purpose But yeah, because then at least you're all like, well, why am I doing this? Because of the mission. So yeah, so you'd think that this is that the only way to. So what if you did that? I guess is the point. And instead of it being about maximum growth and profits, or even just maximum profits, it was about creating sustainable uh, ecosystems or sustainable mm -hmm. work. And this is it's this yeah. Is, this it is, just this doesn't is, sound it. it You know how if you go to war, you just need a, a common enemy and a sort of common goal and a, yeah. a, like a, a song and dance and this very powerful message. And then the, if you have a message of like, <laughs> we want to create something that's kind of interesting for everybody, but not too repressive and yeah. sounds very different than like, fuck it, we're taking over. Okay, but I'll give you two good points. <laughs> just a <laughs> TM. Uh, one is the Industrial Revolution started out and, you know, it was like you can't, and during the Enlightenment, you can't get in the way of, of a scientific and technical technological progress, right? The steam engine's going to roll over you. And what happened is through subsequent, like, sort of, actually artists became a big part of the, the, the discussion that I mentioned before, I think on a podcast like Upton Sinclair, but other union leaders and stuff came out and said, wait a second, it's not good when people die on the job, right? Like, <laughs> or when children are working, we're doing something wrong. Like that, that wasn't normal and now it is normal. Okay, maybe we need to rethink this. And right now yeah, we would yeah, think yeah. it's crazy to allow kids to, to work in a factory, right? Yeah, but what I mean more that with the arts, um, the arts is always there's this saying I don't know who said it but it's something that the problem with the world is that stupid people are very convinced of themselves and mm. smart people are always questioning everything including themselves so yeah 
Well, th- th- that's maybe what I mean. That's the hard thing with the arts. If you, in a, in a democratic uh, national mm-hmm. way, if you want to get people together, but at the same time, the whole nature of everybody there is to question everything. Right. Well, it, it you know, um, the thing is, it was South by Southwest last week, so it's worth mentioning that like that used to be this kind of, even though it's not in California. There's this event in Texas uh, once a year that in Austin that maybe people don't know about uh, called South by Southwest, but it does music, film, but it was also like kind of this technology. It started as a music festival, but then it became this everything festival. And then for a long time, this technology festival. And that's actually where FreshBooks, uh, where I work by day is, uh, as a, at a startup, that's where we got like our, we, we launched there and like Twitter launched there. It's kind um, of a... a um Coachella for startups. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So a lot of companies get their start there, and then it slowly became more and more about brands and like it's a bit. It's a bit. There's also a big music aspect to it. There is, but the tech part is what I want to talk about because this week it was interesting. So a lot of people had declared like kind of South by Southwest um, over, but it's recently like started to get buzz again. And this week's tech announcements were interesting, and it's because they weren't um, typical. And one of the big, there were two, but one of the big ones that I noted was this one called Ride Austin. And just Ah uh, yeah, like the anti Uber. <clears throat> yeah, so Ride Austin the idea is it's the city run the city runs the taxi platform and the profits, a hundred percent of the profits go to the drivers. Yeah, but the the software and <clears throat> the the logistics is made on a bigger level than on a, than a city, but the city can adapt the app to yeah. the city. Yeah, basically exactly. But the city kinda owns the platform or, or administrates it. The drivers make the profit, and it's a not-for-profit as well. I should say this company yeah, yeah, is a yeah, not-for-profit. Yeah. Um, no, I th- I think we're going to see a whole wave of of startups that realize, hey, we can still make a billion. We don't have to make four hundred billion. Mm-hmm. And if people are much happier using the app, then uh, we don't lose anything. Yeah. Well, a bunch of other uh, like another uh, app launched uh, I think this week that was um, for music. And it's, I think it's called Voltra, and 100% of the profits from every stream go to the musician. And well, then, I, I, yeah, I think we'll see a thing. It's the it's opposite of, of capitalist disruption, where mm-hmm. it turns out the technology is so cheap, and building a, yeah. a Spotify clone, is just it doesn't cost that much, so you really don't have to take 30%. This is the thing. This is the thing that I'm excited about, because I work in technology, and certain parts of technology, certain parts of the stack are complicated, but guess what? They're also like modular so you can build and and especially with the open source movement we know you can plug these things together and the level of sophistication uh is getting you know easier and easier to replicate and who knows maybe there'll be some like downward pressure some new technical breakthrough that'll make it uh harder but Mm -hmm. whether that's it just seems so ridiculous though like i don't think it's going to be augmented or virtual reality i'm sorry like i think there's some stabilization that's starting to emerge yeah. Um, yeah, and and that it really it's gonna be, it's gonna be kind of I'm, the best I'm, ideology again. I'm I'm always I really love open source and open standards, but I know how hard it is to maintain them sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a WordPress blog that I cannot manage on my own, right? Uh, so I pay someone to manage. And that's okay, but I know for the general audience that's way too much of an investment. And then I have my own domain and my own email server, and I have Gmail and. A lot of times, emails on my own domain just don't arrive. Yeah, and I have to say, like, okay, we'll send it to my Gmail. So, just operating your own email, 
ideologically, of course, it should make sense, but dealing with spam and all the weird recipients and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if ride sharing is the same thing where it's just, it's pretty, how, I don't know how easy it's, it's not that easy. I mean, if it's not easy to run a blog or a, or an email mm-hmm. server. It's not easy write, running a ride-sharing service. Right. But new, like, I guess new platforms uh, and standards emerge all the time. If you yeah. think back, obviously the World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee invented that on top of an open standard called the Internet, right? Same thing mm-hmm. with peer-to-peer file sharing, right? Uh, Nap- the Napster revolution was one person realizing, like, hey, we could, like... now. And I guess a lot of the developments have been about excluding the middleman, when you think about yeah. it, uh, the World Wide Web's like, okay, what is there in the middle? We'll just like get rid of that and then connect yeah. people directly. But uh, the last 10 years have really been about reintroducing the middleman as the owner of the platform. Like, it's Well, like, I, I'm completely with you in ideology that I f- feel like if the technology is getting more affordable, why do we need an Amazon? Why can't we connect wholesalers to people without an Amazon? Yeah, like why should Jeff Bezos get like 80%? But the, it, if I'm playing devil's advocate, and um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> there's there's something about polish and and user friendliness that's really hard to do. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I haven't seen examples of non-commercial entities making something that's really usable for your grandma. Well, I mean, hopefully that's where people like me can lend a hand. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I have a, I have a but career I, in user I think experience. there's a future. There's a future for startups mm. that uh, that. You could compete with Uber saying, okay, we only want to make 10% of what Uber is making, which is still a bazillion. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give a lot more to the drivers and we'll give them insurance and yeah. things like that. So I, th- I see a hope for saying you can be socially conscious by uh, not being destructively... Well, the other way of, or the other way of saying it is we can undercut Uber... Yeah. By being less yeah. greedy, right? Like, which we can undercut Uber by being better to our drivers, yeah. and uh, or we can undercut Airbnb by, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm. But the, it, I, I, it still has to be proven that it works on a large scale. This kind of yeah, idea. I think I think you're right, but I think I haven't felt like more momentum around a movement in some time, and I think that and yeah. and, and it has a, there's a name for it now, cooperativism. Yeah, and I really feel it like every week a little like a new company comes out or a new announcement, yeah. a new book, new a new. I new would speaker. also be excited about a, a mesh internet that's free from uh, internet providers. Yeah, like some that that actually I remember in the '90s that was like a legitimate way of like increasing access to broadband was this idea of leapfrogging yeah. uh, off of different maybe, routers and maybe connections. Maybe to explain to our listeners, an ISP is an internet service provider, which is just like someone who provides electricity or water it's one central company or two that provide everything for the whole city or the whole country but the internet you could each have a pretty powerful wi-fi router and if you're in a dense city you could just share your data with your neighbor and the neighbor can share it with their neighbor you don't need the central middleman to facilitate the internet or you just need a few points and so if you have a decentralized internet, there's much less control. I don't know how it exactly works if you would want an email coming from Brazil, but you're in New York. <laughs> well, like the best thing is you can definitely, yeah. Well, so Apple and Steve Jobs famously, Steve Jobs wanted to own the internet in a way. So he famously, mm-hmm. he really pushed hard for the airport extreme. Remember that 
like big UFO base station that they used to have. Yeah, we were talking about modems and routers last week. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But we didn't bring this up, which is that he wanted to sneak in a way for there to be, for your network to be protected, but a certain percentage of it or of, of unused uh, band yeah, yeah. of unused bandwidth. You could say be, I can allocate ten percent openly. Yeah, to the to community, right? And yeah. then and then we would have this mesh network where you could just and that's why all iPhones automatically connect to Wi Fi stations. I don't know if you've noticed that, if you already remember one, but he wanted to make it so that anyone that was open, it would just hop. It could hop between yeah. spectrums, and you'd well, always a, be connected. Google, Google uh, phone has a project where the, it hops from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi, and so you hardly use your cellular. Oh, really? Google I, I, Fi. Hmm. Is it? Yeah, like, it only works on Google phones, but you, you have a very cheap plan, Yeah. and you pay for data, but you hardly ever use data because there's a lot of open networks around cities. And uh, It would be good if Google didn't own that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a, a constant push, but well, there, I, like, like the, the big companies have the resources to develop things. Well, there was but, one that failed at figuring this out, which is, so Mozilla is, is lo- I, you're asking for an example, and I forgot that Mozilla really is probably the best example of a company hmm. that was a not-for-profit that was trying to... They were to, kicking ass. Yeah, ki- they were kicking ass. <laughs> they were. They were, like, way out in front. Um, well, they were. Their, their browser was much faster for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their browser was faster. They and had all the, the modern the, the technology. The privacy and the, and the open-sourceness was a nice bonus, but people really downloaded it because it yeah, was Yeah, and fast. people chose it. And the first thing you'd install, I always would have chosen in the past Firefox first, and then... They got distracted a little bit, and like because of what, maybe because of what we're talking about, maybe they had the same conversation. But they tried to create an operating system, a mobile operating system, yeah. called well, Firefox they, OS. That that would be completely web based, and all the apps would be web based. Uh, yeah, and I guess it just didn't catch on. And then weirdly, well, they had a, it, it, it's understandable that they saw that all the growth is going to be in mobile. We got to be there. Yeah, 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 and it's true. But then they targeted for some reason only it cheap phones in uh, in and I don't like this term developing nations. Yeah, I don't want to say developing world, but in in areas where yeah, not in yeah. So in the developing world, let's just say that until I can remember the right word to use. But uh, yeah, so like in India or wherever, they were like, this is a price we can go in at the low price point. We can undercut. Um, Apple and Google and BlackBerry, whoever. There's, there's also the, the idea of Tesla where they make a luxury car and rich people basically fund the development of the technology because they get it first. Mm-hmm. And then it gets cheaper and then more people get to use it. And maybe at some point the technology gets so cheap that it becomes open source. And and maybe that's the same destiny for something like Uber. Like At some point the technology of ride sharing becomes so cheap that people could Let's say in 20 years, people can build apps like that mm-hmm. and just create a ride-sharing app for their neighborhood with a few clicks. Well, it's funny, even at this like Canada Council event, there was an app for the summit that I was just at. And it was like, because now there are apps that can generate apps for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't need to re- we don't need to make like Uber five thousand times. Uh, yeah, basic. I, I want to make Uber for dogs. I want to yeah. make Uber for parakeets. I want to make Uber for yeah. I think of it as the same way as like anyone can open a hot dog stand. It's like, and there are different people that offer the components necessary to do that. Right? It's not like each hot dog stand owner has to invent a new way, you know, to make the sausage to like boil. It, you know, it doesn't need to figure out how to make umbrellas and carts and heating equipment and stuff like that there's an economy of modular parts that come together form a hot dog stand or wherever like you could take any business yeah um but then it, it it's funny that in my personal use 
ideologically, I I love open source, but the idea of uh, using Linux, it's uh, I just love all the. But you're the, using the whole Apple ecosystem and how it all works together and how they, sure. They have, but when yeah. you're using an Apple product, you're probably using uh, Linux in some way, or Linus Torvalds' influence has exerted Unix, itself. Yeah, yeah, but, because because well, don't forget like the router, all of the Internet of Things objects, all the things around you are, are usually built on top. I know, of Linux. I know, but mm -hmm. what I mean more is that I, as a consumer, could choose to get the Fairphone mm -hmm. and get uh, components and build my own laptop and all that stuff. Yeah, you could. But but I like that. Uh, it's, you know, there's an ideology by having a phone that you can open up and a laptop that you can open up easily and replace parts and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's tedious. It's a lot of work. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's like what you're describing, which is a great customer experience. Um, that's not exclusive to a large company either. Like this idea that like just because it, I think it, because a lot of change has been engineer driven rather than design driven. You've had a lot of these projects be engineering first. Engineering certainly like a huge component, at least half of the problem. But the other half is really a design problem. And I think if designers, this is my call to action to designers, if designers jumped in and started instead of like, you know, uh, I mean, work for, you know, whatever company, Apple or LinkedIn or whoever uh, by day, but then by night, like, why aren't you lending your hand like engineers do? Like the engineers I know, they go home and then they contribute code. <laughs> to open source projects, <laughs> like for free all night long, right? So they're passionate yeah. about this. Yeah. Why are the other, you know, members of the, of, of the software community not doing the same thing? So I think that's actually changing. And I do see a desire among designers and artists and creators to get involved in, in shaping these yeah. tools. But it first starts with like, hey, like this is actually accessible and we can make change. We don't just have to accept what, I don't know, what comes out of California. So, But, um, with this uh, National Council for Digital Arts, mm -hmm. what's the official name? Uh, <laughs> it's like it's going to be so complicated for me to say. So it's the Canada Council for the Arts, uh, Arts in a Digital World Fund. <laughs> well, here you go. This is an example of, of the yeah. problem of, of um, when it's companies are just so good that they would make a, a one word thing like mm -hmm. MacBook Air. And it would be very catchy and memorable, but instead they're like National Council for <laughs> things affiliated to digital, maybe yeah, if, yeah, yeah. somehow, yeah, yeah. So um, I actually had some influence over this, but it, they would never have bought that. It was funny because there was a lot of like push and pull uh, between like the advisory council. We were all like uh, in tech and arts, like hybrid areas, and very kind of you know future forward uh, group of people. And the council was also like trying to be. Um, and and they and they are they're thinking that way, but certain things they just could not like let go of, and there, so there'd be these funny the protocols. Yeah, like it would just be like, oh yeah, or like how they were even going to put on the event, like who they're going to hire to do this or that, and we'd be like, why would you do it that way? Like the mo like this is the modern thing to do, and they'd it, look at us like we we're crazy. <laughs> like at one point, I proposed well, baby steps. Yeah, yeah, like okay. I proposed. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's baby steps. At one point, I think we proposed like an unconference, and this was like you know like a holacracy like, like how could you let <laughs> how you let the people decide how to speak to one another but but they had come to us and said like that's what this is all about it's about connecting people from diverse communities da, da, da. so but it, it yeah you're right it's baby steps and it's funny because leaving there most of what was really exciting was when people were like operating outside of the structures that it, the summit uh, created however i will say like um 
shout out to uh, Brad Schrammel who was there because mm-hmm. and I, I recorded some audio with him that I didn't ask him if I should record it. I don't know if we'll play it later, but uh, he was on his way out and he he said like, hey, thanks for having me here. And I just wanted to I like I'm just in shock over like I've, I've never been at such an empathetic interconnected. <laughs> It's like, is this Canada? It's like him. It's funny. Yeah, it was like not the <laughs> Brad. Not if you're listening, troll. it was not the Brad. <laughs> and I was like, so he's really a product of of the U.S. And then yeah. all of a sudden, he's in this sweet environment where people are nice to each other. And yeah, because sweet. He was at this like we had put him at this human library table, so like people had to come to him and it's ask okay, him questions. Brad, you don't have to. You don't have to yell. <laughs> we all love each other here. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, but he left with this like warm glow on his face and like sense of confusion and wonder that was like I'm never gonna forget. <laughs> and I think as a European, you would understand what that's like as a Canadian. Yeah. I do, but like he had been like hardened by. <laughs> well, I feel very fortunate to really know both sides of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think uh, people in the U.S. just um, it, here's this winner takes all system in everything in politics and arts and. Uh, um, so that's the the top is very high in mm-hmm. that kind of system. Yeah, and then I also see the other system where uh, things are more equal and uh, more reasonable, and that means the top is not so high, but more people get to participate. That's in, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's room for for both, and I'm happy that there's some diversity. Yeah, I always think of of HBO and BBC. Like they're both great, and they both have the. But one is based on the market and the other one is based on the state yeah that's right i you know i'm just happier to be in this environment just because there are so many uh so many voices that i know or have known that are uh i don't know that that wouldn't be popular at first but i know will be you know will become uh that are important voices that will become the foundation for future uh, change and one of, yeah one of the things I noticed as the downside to the nationally funded art system mm-hmm. is that people are excited about making the thing mm-hmm. whether it's an exhibition or a book right but there's no motive to sell the thing so right. the the it 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 doesn't live on after it's made as much as in a commercial world so that that's a downside to me but it's hard to like you'll You'll spend a lot of time making the exhibition, and then they don't care so much about getting a great photographer and getting the photos in magazines. Yeah, you know what I and think. I don't know if this is always true. It's just in my experience, like maybe in in the, the other side of the spectrum, it's a bit too much on emphasis on on the selling and the legend yeah. and the myth. Well, but, from my uh, perspective, what happens is actually like you know, and this is less has been less so in the last five years in Europe, but previously it was like those countries were kind of like little labs, like research and development labs, that new ideas that were precarious could emerge from. And then like, there would be like scouts, let's call them like scouts from the United States, or from certain places where they had enough money to take what was a really good idea, but not with it, you know, not enough money behind it's it. It's free or R&D for them. Yeah. And they would pick that up and they'd be like, new genius alert. Yeah. <laughs> like, spotlight. Well, that's what hap- it happens with the... A lot of patents from universities that are, mm-hmm. uh, or ideas or labs from uh, publicly funded universities. And mm-hmm. th- there was a large development of quantum computing in the University of Delft in the Netherlands. Oh, really? It's a, it's a good tech university. And then Microsoft came in. It's like, we're going to set up a huge research lab. And yeah. the next 10 years, we're going to work on quantum computing. And that's the next leap. And so there's a frustration 
uh, wait, we funded all this research and we funded all this <laughs> education. But at the same time, the, the, the professor of the department was like, well, we also want to grow and the, there's, mm-hmm. there's not enough funding for us to make the next step. So yeah. uh, and then you have to find a way that it works for everybody. Yeah, I mean, that does seem... In Canada, there's the same brain drain that people complain about, which is like, our universities fund so much research. Um, you know, and meanwhile, like, Trump's, like, cutting research left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. and then, But then, like, American companies come and, like, snap up the companies that start or the people and, and you know, shut them down here and then reopen shops south of the border. But I'm not, I'm not super negative about that because I'm... Maybe because I, I consider myself a dual citizen in some ways. Like Kristen, my my partner, is American, and um, I went to school in the United States. The United States. I went to school for free, by the way, in in the U.S. So I was given a scholarship by Americans to go there. So I don't know. I think uh, it it's just necessary. That's what in, like the the way the world works now. I guess in a way, uh, everyone has their role to play. And things, uh, I don't know. I'm. I, it was funny because that Astra, who I've mentioned several times, she was like, she lives in New York normally, but she was she's living in Toronto right now, working with the National Film Board. That's our one of our uh, our kind of arts institutions that publicly funds uh, filmmaking and stuff like. And and Can- the Canadian film industry is a huge industry now. That, but well, it was, it's it's cheaper to shoot movies in Canada. So yeah, and it's TV. worth it's worth noting that like so the Americans and specifically in LA, if you talk to anyone in LA, they hate Canada because <laughs> we invented this idea that like what if as a government we subsidized the film industry and we made it not about like you know competition. Instead, it was just like we're competing against US. We have an extra hundred million dollars. Guess what, filmmakers, you can have that. And then people started making uh, films in Vancouver and Toronto. And, and then, you created a, a culture and you yeah, created jobs. a culture and ecosystem. And Toronto now is like probably one of the, you know, the big film festival kind of centers in the world with the Toronto Film Festival. A lot of stuff gets released here, but there's also a thriving independent film community. But anyway, she was like, she wants, she desperately, she loves living in New York, but she was like, she's like, I don't know, there's something different right now in Toronto. And it was, it, it was interesting to hear her say that because she's like considering staying because, because of the climate, you know, obviously in the U.S. being what it is she's like well why not just try and start it here and that was nice for me to hear i think because i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying to change my tune i've invested in canada for a long time but i've always thought like ah what am i compromising or what am i leaving behind we've talked about this in the small countries episode as well but at a certain point you come back and you because you mentioned a couple episodes ago a feeling in the netherlands like internet art (laughs) was like a thing which right there's like enough oh yeah 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 right And, and that's why it was interesting to me that uh this this initiative of the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a little bit like, how can we stand out? Okay, we're, we're not going to stand out in a sort of Richard Sarah Jackson Pollock way because that works really well in the U.S. Yeah. So we're going to start in a different way. Yeah, yeah. it's classic. Uh, you never do what the other guy's doing uh, in branding, right? Like whoever mm-hmm. whoever you think is the leader, you should kind of do the opposite of them, but do it like, up, you know, turn the dial up to 11. Yeah. So I'm excited for that kind of thing to happen, for there to be a new peak that's different from the United States, and hopefully it'll happen. But uh, we'll see. It's going to take a lot of people... Um, thinking it's possible like you said you need like crazy people to go out there and say uh, we think it's possible for you for us to to lead the world in a different way but uh but yeah uh, so that's what i spent my week doing well, i'm very curious what will come out of it and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully a lot of good stuff but I, it, it sounds like it's it's very um it's it's not like we're gonna see 
tons of net art coming from Canada. It's more broad. No, yeah. It's like digital embedded in all kinds of ways of art making. Yeah, like you might see an indigenous like... Uh, like a video streaming service or something like that. I don't know. Like, but you're gonna yeah. you're gonna see different things coming out of Canada. I think in the next. So five it's not years. directly funding artists. It's more people setting up ecosystems. Yeah, it's it's for transformational change in the art sector. So, um, okay. yeah, there are some. I could. I don't want to get into like the. the, I, the precise I would love ones. it if there was just some some rich guy who says I'm gonna set up a net art fund because mm-hmm. you know it it would be so cheap compared to funding other kinds of arts and just be like, okay, I'm going to set up a server for a lot of people and Mm -hmm. it's going to be universally accessible. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking, yeah. If if somebody quite wealthy was just like, I'm going to invest a hundred million in net art without Mm -hmm. seeking any uh, return on investment. I just want people to make crazy stuff and I want it to be online for 50 years. I don't think that's crazy to think though because like Guggenheim or who, you know different patrons have uh, have like have, have forwarded the arts in the United States in other ways right and this mm-hmm. maybe that's how it'll happen in the United States it'll be through private patronage which is historically how it's happened but yeah. there's no because reason it, there, there has to be just like this tiny little this, rhizome this, website. Yeah, that there's this, this, this funny way of thinking sometimes. It's like, oh, we have to make art universally accessible. And then they make high-res scans of paintings. <laughs> no, I know. It, yeah. I hate how Google thinks about art. It just makes yeah, me yeah, so, yeah. I get so <laughs> angry about it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. For some people, 100 million is not that much. And then you're really giving something that is universally accessible and it, it I don't know. It just makes a lot of sense to me. So well, shout out to all the billionaires and just... Well, have you heard you, of this? You uh, have too much money. It's probably tax deductible. Just but it doesn't, it, doesn't mean that, that it doesn't mean that they have to make less money. In fact, one of the best examples that I heard that I wasn't aware of while I was away this week was um, in the theater industry. And this started actually in New York. Uh, they started to adopt economic models. So new economic models are also something that's being investigated. Uh, new economic models for how you sell seats in theater. So apparently on Broadway, they use a, a, like a seat selling system similar to the way airlines work, which is a uh, it's basically dynamic pricing. It's overbooked also? I don't know if it's over. It may be. I don't know about that, but it's dynamic pricing. So, so if, early people get cheaper tickets. Yeah, but also if there's tickets remaining near the end they get super cheap so you, the idea yeah. is you're always filling the theater to capacity oh then you're going to add that stress to theater oh my god that, that's one of the most stressful things airplane tickets <laughs> well it's working apparently and like oh my god I, I tried this app that will warn you whenever tickets get cheaper uh-huh uh, so we go to brazil usually around christmas which is an expensive time to go but my family is there mm-hmm. and if you buy six months in advance it's cheap yeah. Then around two months in advance, it gets expensive. And then closer to date, it gets cheaper again. But it doesn't work around Christmas because everybody's flying then. So I set up this alert and it's like, oh, it's probably going to be cheaper next week. Oh, never mind. It got more expensive. <laughs> oh, it's so stressful. I don't know if you should add that stress. <laughs> well, I think the way, yeah, the way this system is now being used by independent theaters is there's like an application that's uh, universally available. Like someone built an application layer like we've been discussing. And basically... Uh, all theaters aggregate under this layer. And so if you want, basically, it used to be that a seat would be like $200, but now a seat might go as low as $20, right? So all seats uh, are sold, but most Mm. of the time at a lower price than when they originally had to set. You know, because what you had to do before was every seat had to be a certain price to cover your costs first. 
but then they didn't like change the value of the other seeds. I, I don't no. fully understand it, but uh, apparently it works out as fr- as someone put it to me, free money for the theaters because they were just not attracting people. And just like you know, yeah. in art, like you need the most number of collectors under you to be a popular artist. Theaters need people in the seats seeing stuff to get other people to come and see it. Right? Word of mouth advertising is still yeah. uh, the best way to get more people involved. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I got a lot it's time of, for you to take it easy. A lot, of, a lot of ideas, a lot of big ideas this week, but it was kind of cool after like six months of working on that. And and how long until you travel again? I'm going to be at Resonate in uh, April, which is about a month away. Um, and in I think, Belgrade? Yeah, in Belgrade, which is yeah. uh, a, a first for me. But everyone always talks about this festival as like one of the most important, or it's emerged as one of the most important festivals for like for friends of ours, I guess, but like for, mm-hmm. for new ideas and thinking and, uh, and Belgrade, like, I guess as a, as a city is a, as a amazing place to visit. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Have you been before? Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're yeah. like a royalty in the, <laughs> the internet world, but this will be my, in the world, everywhere yeah. in the world, really Raphael yeah. goes, <laughs> yeah. they roll out the red carpet, but yeah, I like, get the, uh, I get the key to the city. I've always wanted to go. So I'm excited to go to that. No. And cool. yeah. you'll eat lots of meat, that's for sure. Oh, really? Is that because uh, yeah. Eastern European kind of... Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, yeah. Yeah, cold cuts for breakfast, right? The further you go yeah. Eastern Europe, the more the cold cuts start to dominate the breakfast kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. experience. <laughs> Until you get to I remember a, g- going on a, a hiking vacation through Eastern Europe, and it was meat every day. I love meat, but at some point it's like, oh, there's some beans on the menu, and you order beans and there's just two burgers floating in the bowl that's <laughs> like that's the way they do croutons <laughs> hey it just occurred to me we didn't talk about um a specific consumer technology that you purchased <laughs> this, is, this is our new theme but didn't you buy airpods recently i'm curious how that's working oh yeah 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 they're great i i think uh, um it's it's funny to me there's this general consensus of complaining about apple and then mm-hmm. uh, Uh, applauding whenever other manufacturers make like a phone with uh, four cameras that you don't need or something right. and then it, people end up using Apple anyway but in, in all the tech blogs and podcasts people are always like oh I'm so excited about this uh, 14 megapixel camera on the new Nokia and and then they complain about the Apple uh, I lately just realized all the Apple stuff is great uh, I don't know why people complain so much <laughs> because yeah. uh, we have hyperinflated expectations I guess yeah 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 but the, the only funny thing I thought about is well, there's two things about the AirPods uh, it makes it it makes it kind of you don't really want to use your headphones with other devices mm-hmm. like you can set it let's say you visit your uncle and you're like can I use your iPad for a little bit mm-hmm. if you just had a regular headphone you would just plug it in right in this case you could set it up to connect to their iPod but then it's also connected to their laptop and you're like nah so it it really facilitates you having your own devices and uh, I don't know I see a future where you're so deep in the ecosystem everybody has their own oh right so it's like iPad everybody has their own computer and they, they, there's a reason they don't allow multi-users so I have like my iOS devices my TV headphones my iPad headphones my phone headphones It's like you no, won't. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a tough problem to fix. It's like if you have an Apple TV and everybody's using it. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to think some kind of open standard. I mean, it is built on top of Bluetooth, but it has that proprietary yeah. chip. But and then the, there's the other thing which I find funny is um, the phones have different colors, the laptops have different colors, the Apple Watches have different colors, 
and then the AirPods are white, and historically their earbuds are all white. Mm-hmm. But all the other stuff has custom colors. But here's my the, the, the I, and and it's really obvious that the the color stands out and makes it a bit embarrassing to wear. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, do you feel like I always thought like putting something wireless in your ear for like about the last two decades? There's been Bluetooth headsets. And that was like universally a symbol. It was a symbol of like a yeah, it was like a business douchebag kind of symbol, right? Do you feel that way when you're wearing? Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's funny because if if you wear, they're almost exactly the same as wired earbuds. Mm -hmm. They're tiny bit bigger, and so if there was a wire coming out of them, you wouldn't notice them. Mm -hmm. It's just if you snip off the wires of your earbuds and put them in your ear, it looks weird. So. It makes you think about like why is one thing normal and the so other. So would it be? But it would be better if it was smaller. Like if you couldn't even see no, it in I your think, ear. I, I think it would be better. The end of the headphone has a silver, um, what do you call it? Like a silver be- bevel, mm-hmm. which kind of makes it look like jewelry. If that was matte black and the whole thing was black, I don't think we would have that awkwardness. Yeah, they kind of, they seem like a little loud to me as well. I I think of I always think of the movie Her. You know, in um, that Spike Jones film. Loud visually or loud in your ear? What? Loud. No, no, loud visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah but in, in her, like, the the lead character, he has, like, just a little, like, earpiece. It's a circle, yeah. Yeah, he puts into his ear. It's just tiny. You can, no one can see you're wearing it. Like, it's also, like, this week I was wearing a, a bug in my ear to talk to the producer all, all week. Well, I'm sure they considered, like, having... A little nub in your ear and then a battery behind your ear, but then it looks like a hearing aid. Yeah, that's right. I had so it's tricky. Yeah, because I had a tiny little nub in my ear, but then it was like a cable that went down my back to a huge battery. Yeah, so it pack. looked like a security guard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the, there's a lot of pros and cons. I think that the little stubs are for the head for the microphones. Mm-hmm. Are you worried it's going to blow up in your ear with a lithium uh, battery in there? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the price you pay. Huh? <laughs> but it's so convenient. It's really weird wearing wired headphones after you i feel like that's going to be the thing we hear though in the next 12 months here's my prediction head, man's head explodes <laughs> mm-hmm. wearing earpods because like <laughs> not for you i'm sorry like you're like but it's terrifying. probably a tiny tiny battery in there it's uh, well have you ever seen like because there's all these videos online of people with vapes and like vapes that, ex- that explode yeah but that the quality of vapes the, the security uh, same with the hoverboard uh, <laughs> rolling thingies yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, so I, I mean, I would I would not wear open source uh, wireless earbuds. Right, yeah. That's for sure. Don't buy the ten dollar earpod. I know. No, but it, um, it this it, it's very funny to me these small conveniences that end up really making a difference between using them or not. So my laptop is on a desk. And there's a headphone jack that goes to my stereo. We mm-hmm. talked about Bluetooth uh, mm-hmm. wireless audio in the home. I, I still use a cable. Yeah. So because the cable's in there, um, I never take it out and put headphones in when I get a Skype call or anything. And then uh, so it's it's these small things of like you take the cable out and the amplifier and the speakers make this noise of the ground uh, electricity. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of worried that you're damaging something. So you're like, oh, never mind. I won't do it. So it, it's all these small you keep removing friction and it really makes a difference mm. well I mean it, it, it's that question how lazy can you get yeah apparently uh, you can get pretty lazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you wear velcro shoes no but I put a it's funny you say that because a few months ago I was like shopping my shoelaces broke so shopping on Amazon for new shoelaces 
and there was this like very popular shoelace and I was like oh what's this and it was like elastic shoelaces and I was like Ooh. what elastic shoelaces and then all the reviews were like I don't have to tie my shoelaces any <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so I bought so much time in the day. Yeah, so I bought these, and I haven't tied. I used to be tying my shoelaces and untying them, like you know, hun- they would always come untied. Like, so you can't go back. Twenty, like, yeah, you're on the elastic shoelaces. There's no way back. Yeah, pro tip: elastic shoelaces. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go through air. So we can we can joke about this, right? But you're going through airline security. That's uh, right. Five times a week. Yeah, it it's very helpful. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. My shoes slip. They're like high tops, but they slip on and off just like they're slippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. There is a, there's a trade off with aesthetics sometimes, like where clothes get more and more comfortable, but then you, you look at old photos and like even bums were so dressed up. It's like, wow, they're really mm. dressed well. Well, yeah, yeah, good fashion's not exclusive to the rich and famous anymore. Okay, so uh, we're what do you what do you think we should do? Should we throw to a field recording? We didn't even discuss this, but I do have some recordings. Uh, from yeah, let's let's go. Int- you should introduce your field recording, and we say goodbye. <clears throat> okay, yeah. So I took some audio uh, at your uh, behest uh, while I was in uh, Montreal, yeah. and. Uh, one, uh, I, I think the, the the part we should play is when I, I ran into a listener. Uh, you should play the part where they say, "Okay, ninety five percent of the money is going to Jeremy." <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, that. Originally, it was called the Jeremy Bailey Fund, but we rebranded it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ran into a few listeners actually at the event, which is now becoming like a a really wonderful kind of highlight wherever I go. Is it a problem that people know you so well and you don't know them and they're like, you say stuff like, yeah, 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 you talked about that. No, it's wonderful. So like one okay. person, one person I met that I'm going to shout out to because she was just like wonderful was Amelia Scott. And uh, she's a, a video designer and projection technician. She works uh, with theaters. So she, you know, the fact that like projection technologist is like a theater role uh, is kind of cool, I think. Um, and she said that she listens to us while she's like, she was on tour when she found us and uh you know going from with her with a theater group uh, on the road and you know you're sick of the people you're with so she, 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 would, she would be like okay uh i'm checking out now i'm gonna go uh, hang out with my friends Raphael and jeremy and that really um i don't know that really warmed uh, my heart and she was just such a a warm a warm person to meet um so i'm gonna play some audio and this is near the end of the conference and uh i just like kind of turned it on like secretly in the background as they everyone was sort of wrapping up and they had built these weird like things that were called product boxes but were representative of ideas that the art sector was coming up with for how we might reimagine um, uh, distribution and all anyway all kinds of problems that they had come up with anyway I wandered over to Amelia and I said like hey I'm recording audio for the podcast and so at the very beginning you can hear her say like hello like this. <laughs> that's her. Yeah, that's her shout out. Her shouting out back to herself. So I hope that she can hear that. And um, yeah, I wanted to thank her for for reaching out and saying hello. And uh, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, till next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Uh, uh, Mine's free. Yeah,
Yeah, sure.